This morning, we have two readings, one from the Hebrew Scriptures and one from the Christian Scriptures. In the first, the prophet Zephaniah writes of his anger towards the plight of the poor and vulnerable. The prophet, seething with righteous indignation, imagines a story in which God breaks in with an iron fist, raging against the wealthy and avenging the impoverished whom they oppress. He calls this breaking in the day of the Lord, and it is at once a warning to the privileged and an image of hope for the downtrodden. As we read, remember this text says more about what Zephaniah thinks about God than it does about God. More about Zephaniah's anger than God's anger. As we read, listen for echoes of your own anger or hope. Hear now this reading from Zephaniah 1. Remain silent in the presence of sovereign Yahweh, for the day of the Lord is near. When that time comes, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent in their sin. I will seek out those who say in their hearts, God will not do good or evil. Yet their wealth will be plundered, their households looted. They will build houses and never live in them, plant vineyards but never drink their own wine. The great day of the Lord is near and coming fast. How bitter the sound of the day of the Lord, the day of the warrior's war cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and agony, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and fog, a day of trumpet roar and battle cry against fortified towns and high corner towers. I will bring such distress on the people that they will grope like the blind because of their sins against Yahweh. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their gold nor their silver will save them. On the day of Yahweh's wrath, in the fire of divine jealousy, all the earth will be consumed. Today's second reading comes from Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. Paul writes to a church in a precarious political situation. Whereas Zephaniah was trying to wake the people up to God's love for the vulnerable, Paul is writing to a community who is already awake. And so his message to them is this, stay awake. Even when things get comfortable, Borrowing Zephaniah's image of the day of the Lord, he encourages them to live mindfully by that story, as though the day were always just around the corner. Hear now this reading from 1 Thessalonians 5. But as to specific times and eras, sisters and brothers, you don't need me to tell you anything. You know very well that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Just when people are saying at last we have peace and security, then destruction will fall on them with the suddenness of labor pains, and there will be no escape. But you, sisters and brothers, are not in the dark. The day of the Lord will not catch you like a thief. No, you are all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the darkness or the night. So let's not be asleep as others are. Let us be awake and sober. Those who sleep do so at night, and those who get drunk do so at night. 
but we belong to the day, so let us be sober. Let us put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. God has destined us not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether awake or asleep, we might live together with Christ. So encourage each other as you are already doing. These are our sacred texts, imagined anew to each generation. Thanks be to God. Much has been written about this great and terrible day of the Lord. Most of it by people too eager to punish somebody or to prove their own sense of self-worth against somebody else. It's an idea filled for many of us with images of fire and judgment, with sheep on one side and goats on the other, one side going off to eternal paradise and the sinners to eternal hellfire. The day of the Lord has become a container into which we can dump all of our unresolved shame until it's heavy enough to use as a weapon to clobber the unbelievers. But as with most beautiful things hijacked by fearful people, there's another side to it. What if when we read about the coming day of the Lord and how it's going to surprise us like a thief in the night, we're not hearing about some far-off mythological drama, but an experience that we already know very well. It's the day when the lies you've been telling yourself prove as useless as a tent against a hurricane, when all that you've done or denied or refused to face finally swings back at you and you have no place left to duck. It's the day when you realize that the wealth and status in which you have put your trust cannot protect you from a cancer ravaging your body. It's the day that you realize that the military in which you have put your trust can do nothing against a natural disaster. It's the day when the phone call comes in, when the car misses the stop sign, when the election results are tallied and all of a sudden you are in a world that you realize that you are not nearly as in control as you thought you were. These are the great and terrible days of the Lord. Not because there's some old bearded man on a cloud pulling strings and trying to teach you a lesson, but because, more simply, reality wins every time. Rolling over our shoulds and shouldn'ts like a caterpillar bulldozer. If, as Byron Katie suggests, God is reality, then the day of the Lord is that day when reality breaks in. As the prophet Zephaniah writes, the people rest complacently on their dregs and they say in their heart, God will do no good and God will do no harm. We are safe, and things more or less will not change from the way that they're going right now. Yet even their wealth will be plundered and their houses laid waste. The day of the Lord is bitter, and neither their silver nor their gold will be able to protect them.
have we not each of us experienced the day of the Lord? Regardless of how you understand this phenomenon, though, whether you believe, as I just said, or you need to hold on to the idea of fiery judgment, there is one thing that we can agree on. It hurts more when it takes you by surprise. Paul, in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, says, You yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, there is peace and security, it's then that sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are children of the day, so do not fall asleep, but stay awake and sober, as indeed you are doing. Reality can be a shock to the system when it jars you out of a dream, like a bucket of ice water dropped on an unsuspecting passerby. So Paul teaches his people to stay awake. Once, my grandmother was on a plane to Colorado, and the woman next to her had fallen asleep somewhere over Missouri. And when it came time to land, my grandmother thought that the courteous thing to do would be to let the woman know. So gently, she touched the woman's arm, and in a steady voice, she said, Excuse me, sorry to wake you, but the plane is going down. The woman did not appreciate it. Reality hits you in a different way when it snaps you out of a dream. Stay awake, Paul says, and be ready for it. I love that Paul uses this image of staying awake because just like we said the day of the Lord isn't so much a one-time event but a recurring phenomenon, the same can be said for waking up. Waking up is not a one-time event because there are so many dreams to wake up from. And when you think about it, the day of the Lord is its like the kick from the movie Inception. It's often the very thing that wakes us up. It's that feeling of falling that jolts you awake and snaps you out of a dream. The addict walks around in the dream that one more fix will bring them the peace that they're after, but it's only after hitting rock bottom that they wake up to the reality that peace is in letting go. Paul walked around in the dream that he was more entitled to God's approval than anyone else, but it was only after being struck blind on the road to Damascus that he woke up to the reality that all are God's beloved children, even the lawless Gentiles. Many Americans, like me, walked around for a generation in the dream that this was a just nation of equal opportunity. But it was only after we elected a white supremacist to our high executive office that we woke up to the reality that, as the poet said, America is a dream that never has been, yet must be. Life, it seems, is a series of days of the Lord, coming at us like thieves in the night, waking us up again and again from the dreams, keeping us blind and numb 
we wake up, we stay awake, and we keep waking up. This is the highest goal of all healthy religion, to help us in that lifelong work of waking up. We once stumbled around like drunks in the night, but now we live as children of the day. We were blind, but now we see. It is a goal so perennially recognized that we hear it on the lips of artists and activists who would, for good reason, never darken the door of a church. Stay woke has become the chorus of our time. Wake up to systemic racism and stay woke. Wake up to misogyny and stay woke. Wake up to the limits of capitalism and stay woke. But here's where things may get more difficult. It's easy to commit to staying awake when the alarm bells are going off and we're still shaking the ice water from our hair. But when things calm down, when things appear to be going well, when you're no longer face to face with the more jagged edges of reality and our stories and our substances begin to call sweetly to us like sirens from the rock, then staying awake becomes its own challenge. We become like parents up since 2 a.m. with a crying infant. In those moments, there is nothing in the whole world that sounds better than your warm bed and the blessed promise of oblivion. For some of us, this is the position we seem to find ourselves in. The day has been long and the work has been hard, but it looks now for a moment like things might be okay. It looks like this might be the time to order takeout, to have a drink, or six, to tune in, to turn on, and to drop out. But as Paul said to the Thessalonians and Zechariah said to the Israelites of old, we cannot do that. You have woken up to reality. You have glimpsed behind the curtain. The day of the Lord has crashed through your dreaming once already, and you must, must, must stay awake. Just like the first time, reality will hurt if it takes you by surprise again. I know that might seem cruel to say. I know that Many of us have been breathing long sighs of relief and playing songs of celebration. A fear-mongering, xenophobic leader was ousted from the White House. Pfizer has announced a vaccine with a 90% efficacy rate. It looks like the Supreme Court is going to allow the Affordable Care Act to continue to protect 20 million Americans through the pandemic. But listen. We still live in a nation who casts 50% of its vote for white supremacy and for fascism. We must stay awake. COVID-19 is infecting more people per day right now than it has at any other time in the past seven months, so we must stay awake. We live in a nation that cares more about the bottom line than the health and well-being of its most vulnerable citizens, so we must stay awake. And if all of that sounds exhausting, 
I do have good news. We must stay awake, that's true. But we also have more dreams to wake up from. The dream that you don't have the energy or the ability. The dream that you're not enough. The dream that you're on your own. The dream that your opponents are evil villains and not prodigal children of God. The dream that you are not perfect and loved just as you are. The gospel is, by definition, good news. And the good news is that these two are dreams from which we must wake. And when we do, we will discover that the deeper we get into reality, the more we discover that it is kind and it is bountiful and it is enough. Once there was a man who, while sleeping in his house, was set upon by a thief in the night. The thief woke him up from his dreaming, and taken by surprise, the man was beaten, and he was robbed of many of his treasured possessions. It hurt greatly. However, having learned from his mistake, when the thief set on him again, one night, some months later, the man was awake, and he was ready. He fought the thief tooth and nail until, at long last, the thief ran off into the night. And this is where we tend to think the story ends. But it doesn't. It was many nights later that the thief returned again. For the third time. And the man realized his approach was not working. Friend, he said to the thief, startling him as he climbed in through the back window. Why is it that you keep returning to harm me? Ashamed and disarmed, the thief sat down and told the man his story. He explained his inability to find work and his newborn child at home in need of food. They talked until the early hours of the morning when the man sent the thief home with a loaf of bread and the prospect of a job. The thief, who was not a thief at all, but a child of God in need of compassion, did return, often in fact, but only as a friend and a brother. Waking up, staying awake, continuing to wake up. This is work, but it is not exhausting work in the way that we often think it is. It's work in the same way that watering plants is work. Making food is work. Putting gas in your car is work. But it's not work that drains you. It's work that energizes you and helps you grow. It is resurrection work of coming to life in new and deeper ways, of opening your eyes more widely. People of God, as we journey this road, the days of the Lord will keep coming like thieves in the night each bidding us to wake up and arise and walk in the light. So let us wake. Let us stay awake. And by the light we find, let us keep moving steadily 
towards God. Amen.